I'm Drew Miller, and you're listening to The Second Muse. For this second-to-last episode of Season 2, I am joined by Andrew Osinga and Evan Redwine. But it's a little different, because I'm not interviewing them. Instead, Andrew is taking on the role of host and interviewing us about a song of mine that we worked on together called Death of a Dream. I always love talking with Andrew Osinga. He has the rare skill of diving into the deep end of conversation without scaring anyone away, and I think it's because he's so hospitable in the way he listens. We speculate on what precisely the dreams are that died and how this song and its accompanying Desolation and Consolation EPs came about. Then we hear from Evan about how he played Pro Tools plugins like instruments to achieve that spooky, decaying sort of sound that defines death of a dream. Okay, so we're here with Drew Miller and Evan Redwine. Yes. Drew Miller, the artist, the songwriter, the craftsman, the oh orchardist, dare I say. You can edit that out if you decide you want to. And we're here with Evan Redwine, audio engineer, mixing legend, also an intern who has shown me up. And um, <laughs> in all ways, in all ways, and I'm so happy about that. We're here to talk about a song called Death of a Dream. Indeed. It's a beautiful song. You're doing uh, a series of, you're doing an, an album, but it's kind of a, a two-part project. Yes. Where you're... We're talking about darkness. We're talking about light. Would you tell me a little bit about that whole process? What that, what the idea is behind those two halves of a project? First, let's start there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, for about the past year, I've been writing a lot of songs, and um, somewhere along the way, I uh, came across this. Um, it's actually like this Ignatian spiritual practice that um, that my pastor was telling me about. And um, it's this idea of discerning whether you're in a space of desolation or consolation. Um, And those words just really struck me. And um, it was just one of those where, I mean, we didn't even talk about it that much. It was just this sort of passing, you know, comment like, oh, have you heard of this thing? And, um, but those words just were rattling around my head for months. And then desolation, consolation, desolation, consolation. What are those, what are those, unpack those words for me. Yeah. So for one thing, I think the power of them comes from the fact that they're not uh, used all that often. Sure. Right. Like you don't just go about your day. Like maybe I do like, it's so hot out today. Like it's desolate, you know, like that's (laughs) maybe how I feel. I like you might go around. (laughs) I think I do. (laughs) But that's not, that's not a, you know, that's the exception to the rule. Um, And, but I think usually I we'll start with desolation, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think usually when I do see the word desolation used or desolate, uh, it's it's in association with like a landscape or a town or a place of some sort. Like if a if a ghost town is desolate, it means that it's this place that ought to be filled with people and life and energy, but it's not. It's like this emptiness where there ought to be fullness. Um, And then in contrast, the idea of consolation 
is then um, it's not just like sad, happy. It's it's more like the, here here's a, a place where what was once empty has now been filled. So um, consolation always comes into um, spaces that that were um, marred or struck by loss and um, and emptiness, but have been filled. And so they kind of, they're not opposites as much as you would sort of just imagine at first glance, um, because they're both unsolicited. Like you don't have to find either of these things. They find you, like you don't have to go looking for desolation. It's everywhere. Um, but also consolation will find you too. Um, and both are transformative. Both leave you differently than they De- found define you. Define consolation for me in the way that you are discuss- the way that you're talking about it. Consolation um, can only come when um, when grief and loss has also been experienced. Like we have to be consoled um, out of a space of and what does it mean need? to be consoled? It is comfort. Um, but it's also, it's, it's almost like the return of a presence of, of God's presence of, of, um, of life and vitality where it ought to be, where it always ought to have been. Yeah. Um, but there is emptiness there. So the, uh, the, you hear these words mm-hmm. and that strikes a chord with you. Yeah. Why? Well, namely, because once these words are rattling around in my head, I look back at all the songs that I'd been writing and realize that they're clearly either desolation songs or consolation songs. Like it just, the, they click so well um, with, with what the songs are that were coming out of me that it felt like it was just something that was happening. Like I was already kind of in that space. Were you processing things like in your own life that were leading you to, to, to gravitate towards those things? Yeah. I mean, I think um, probably the best place uh the song that's kind of led the way for me is uh, the very first song that I shared, which is Into the Darkness, and that's the first Desolation song. Um, and it's just this exploration of kind of where all of our um, coping strategies with life come to dead ends uh, when we're trying to shirk the um, insufficiency of, of all these different ways of approaching life to try to kind of like avoid suffering and avoid having to um, come face to face with um, with insufficiency and inadequacy. And um, and I think that that song kind of delineates, it sort of like lays out the map of like all the spaces that I was sort of investigating for where that emptiness comes. Um, and and then the rest of the whole project kind of like goes into those different avenues and uh, explores desolation and consolation there. Um, yeah. So yeah. So that so that's the whole the mark of the record. So how many songs are on each side of that? So desolation is four songs and consolation is four songs, um, and it starts with desolation and ends with consolation. I like that. I have a current theory that the okay. perfect number of songs for a record is eight. Oh well. 
thank you for uh ju- ju- it's, it's a, literally that. i'm a week into this theory and i have a lot of reasons for it which i will not go into because this is not a podcast <laughs> I would like to about spend... why i think eight is the perfect number of songs on a project but i do think that oh, this week i'd be curious to hear that I by the time this comes to... out i will probably have a different opinion okay. <laughs> um, i'm tempted to spend the rest of our time talking <laughs> no, about that not. because uh, no you're not no. um so okay so death of a dream falls where in that lineup so it's the third desolation song out of four okay and it's kind of like the most desolate point of the desolation yeah so let me ask you the obvious question is there a dream that you've had that has died Hmm. man um not to get too intense too quickly, <laughs> but... I don't know if you've heard means, my podcast. That's kind of what I do. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Let's jump right in. I actually, this is... Um, I, I was just thinking about this a couple days ago um, because I have this thing where I sort of have like songwriting amnesia hmm. where like once the thing is finished, mm-hmm. I'm like, how did that... How did I... Where did that come from? Why mm-hmm. did I write that? Like, You know? And for the life of me, like, I can't remember what I was reading or whatever. And I was trying so hard. I think a few months ago, um, we had some friends over uh, for pizza, some friends that we always make pizza together. It's like a thing we do. And and one of them was asking me specifically about Death of a Dream. Like, where did that come from? And I was like, "I, I don't remember. But I finally remembered after like a week of trying to remember. And it's actually from, um, I was reading the liturgy for those who weep without knowing why in Every hmm. Moment Holy, and which is hands down, far and away, the liturgy that I resonate with the most out of that book. Is it the liturgy for those who weep without knowing why? Yes. And funnily enough, there's also a liturgy for the death of a dream. Hmm. And I kind of just like, I think I just love that phrase. Um and it fit for some reason. But the dream that my friend who was asking me about this, um, when we continued to talk about it, he, he texted me one day and was just like, is it too much to say that God is the dream that has died in this song for you? Like, mm-hmm. as I listen to this, it sounds like what you're saying is like, you're experiencing the death of God for you. Um, and that's not me saying that I don't believe in God, <laughs> but that is me what, saying... What, what, yeah, what do you mean? But what I do mean by that is, um, and I should also say that those are my friend's words. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is something that's almost like, oh, wow, he noticed this, and I think he's right. Um, but but I think what what he meant by that is there is there are conceptions of God, um, and there are there are ways that we approach him that have to die for us to know him, right? Um, and it's almost like spirit, our spiritual lives is this path where we're constantly walking deeper and deeper into um, our what we feel like we can take for granted about who God is, that we have to, they have to be challenged and, and confronted. And, um, and I think that's kind of what that, song is doing maybe in a way that I didn't mm. even realize it when I was writing um, but it's this um, it's this challenging of the character of God that ultimately leads to a greater satisfaction because the the only way to get to truly know God is by letting all the false um, uh, 
sort of images of him just yeah. fall apart in, in you know, your imagination. It, it, it's an interesting thing. I feel like as a culture, well, I say this, that God created the heavens and the earth and there are seasons in this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if seasons were, if seasons existed before the fall, but I assume they did. Sure. Um, first time I'm saying this, so we'll see if there's anything behind it. Let's do it. Um, but right, I don't know. But there's this natural death and rebirth throughout all of nature. And we, I believe, are in a culture that wants to live in spring and summer. Hmm. Probably that mostly wants, I think we're probably in a moment in church culture at large that wants to believe that we live only in spring and that everything is new and growing and starting over all the time. Hmm. But that you're right that you can't have the spring without the winter mm-hmm. and um and so i, I think it's uh, it makes me wonder if even things like dreams or relationships or uh, th- that some of these things probably naturally are cyclical and and i just know this from being old enough to have to be in probably my fourth version of relationship with some people mm-hmm. where our, our friendship was born grew, died, resurrected, hmm. grew, died, resurrected, hmm. grew, died. I like a number of times I was had lunch today with somebody that I would say we've, we're probably on our fourth or fifth version of our relationship. I've heard that set of marriage of it's like definitely everyone's true married marriage. at least three times in their life. And if you're lucky, it's with the same person. Yeah. And that was just wow. like, that blew me out of the yeah. water. When I oh yeah. That. We're com- I've been married 17 years. We're completely different people. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent than we were. And if that's true of people, then how much truer should it be of yeah. God, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that that's an interesting thought that that I don't think God is scared by your 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 conceived notions of Him. Yeah, He's not being, threatened. He's not. But man, it's it's hard when you've built a life into the, like we built a life out of those preconceived notions, right? That's our community. Mm-hmm. That's our schedule. Mm-hmm. That's the things we say about ourselves. That's the things other people say about us. You're naming all the dreams that this song is about. Hmm. Like in doing that, I think. How so? Um, I mean, they're very specific. I didn't write the song about a specific thing that felt like it was dying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I think it Not was like your desire to be like a Bollywood movie star. I I cannot believe your prophetic ability. To just, <laughs> like I've never told you about that before. <laughs> Did it break your heart when Slumdog Millionaire came out and you weren't the protagonist? (laughs) (laughs) You guys, man, I think the spirit has really given you the gift of um, discernment. Um, Very prophetic. (laughs) So, So, yeah. But what I am saying is like an accumulated effect of all sorts of dreams by which I mean um, notions of who I am and what it means to be myself in all these different contexts of life and yeah. and kind of these these received vocabularies and um and paradigms that i can refer to as dreams that are yeah like the song comes out of an accumulated effect of all those things just being exposed as insufficient which is not not bad it's just it's like you're saying it's like winter and um and there's a decomposition that is great it's 
called soil, like you know, yeah. death giving birth to life. And, you know, and to be very, very clear, I still believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave and that's where all my hope is, is found. But what that means to me is um, there's a lot more room in that than I ever knew there yeah. could be. Yeah. And boy, is that liberating. Absolutely. So, so on a personal note, these are, you're writing a cycle of songs called Desolation without maybe a clear sense of a specific instance or something that's causing this. How, what is your countenance during the process of creating these songs? Are you just like happy-go-lucky Drew? Are you in a dark place? Like, um, what, what what is the headspace? What what are your what are, what does your wife what do your friends say about the season of life where Drew man. created these songs? Well, each of them, I think, actually came from very different times. Like the very last track mm. is the oldest, and I wrote in like I think 2016, and it just never had a place. And I was finally like, oh, here we go. This is a good place. Um, and what I mean to say is just like I think each one has its own story so it's hard to sort of say like what the entire cycle comes out of Mm -hmm. I think it's more of like it's less of the um, about the specificity of the stories than it is stepping back and seeing that the thread that connected all these the whole time was this theme of desolation Um, but I I I do find it strange because like often when I write songs I'm usually even if they're very sad like in order to actually make it a good song I have to write it when I'm like actually feeling pretty pretty good about life hmm. um and that is absolutely true of these desolation songs like I think it would suck if I just wrote them out of um self-pity or you know hmm. like um, I was talking to uh, Jonathan Rogers about this, and I think the reason it was him is because he said this about writing before, um, and just like fiction writing and any kind of writing is uh, the show don't tell thing is so true because the most effective way to convey emotion is not by telling the person what they should be feeling. Like yeah. if I'm singing a song, it's like I am so sad, you should feel sad too. Like, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to feel sad. But if you're describing something that in and of itself evokes simply by describing it mm-hmm. and being faithful and sort of objective about what it is that you're trying to, sh- like, convey, it will elicit emotion because it itself has that power. And so I think for me, it's more about, like, when I'm trying to write out of this place of desolation, it's, um, I don't write in that space personally i i might experience that and then i'll go back later and try to faithfully describe something that i've experienced from yeah. a place that is a little bit more like i i feel like i have my sanity today yeah I can, so so let's you know. flip the coin on that consolation mm-hmm. i'm curious what what you fed on for that and it may it based on what we're just discussing it re- reminds me of this Bono quote that I heard once mm. that he where he talked about sort of the plight of all sad singer songwriters really is easy to write sad songs yeah 
He says, it's hard to write happy songs because it's impossible to fake joy, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I have found to be incredibly true. Yeah. Uh, So what's the process of writing consolation songs? I think oddly enough, um, and this is something that I was just sort of realizing this week. I, um, at the local show this past Tuesday, I played this uh, third song from Consolation, which is called Caught Inside a Promise. And, um, and I sort of realized, even as I was telling the story behind that song, that, and this is true for at least two of the Consolation songs, they actually come from very desolate places. Um, so that might not be super surprising from what I've been saying about the desolate. Like, you know, it's very, it's symmetrical. Um, <laughs> but, but it's striking to me, like long story short, um, the caught inside a promise story, uh, my wife and I on our um, first wedding anniversary, the eve of our first wedding anniversary, we were just having dinner with some friends. And um, when we got in our car afterwards, um, two, two guys uh, forced us out of our car at gunpoint uh, and just took our car. And I gave them the keys and we walked away. Um, and that will always shape our wedding anniversary now, Hmm. you know, that'll always be, those two anniversaries will always go together. And we didn't ask for that. Um, and that song, I wrote it after, uh, a few months, like after that moment, um, like I was looking back at my journal where I write songs and looking at all the dates and I was doing about one a month for a while, um, which is actually pretty frequent for me. Um, and then it stopped after that, of course. Right. And, um, but I think it's noteworthy that the first song I wrote after that was this one, um, because it's a consolation song. And, and that's just intriguing to me that that can come. It's like what we needed was to be consoled. And like, that's the only way that that can, that true joy can come is like, it's necessary. We need it. It's a survival thing. You know, it's, we have to be able to experience joy. And um, yeah, and, and that's true of that song. There's another song on the Constellation EP that isn't quite as intense. It's, it came out of a dream that my wife had. Um, that also conveys sort of, there's almost some humor in it. Um, she had a dream that all these people uh, who were just dressed really nice, um, sort of like the way that I think of it from her description is like they work at the Apple store or something. They just mm-hmm. like look like they have it all together. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and it's noteworthy too that this, she had this dream, I think um, maybe like a year after we got carjacked. Um, so like it, her, it, it's a whole thing, but like, our imaginations have been shaped by that. Um, but her dream was that these people who were very, you know, put together, were just kind of walking into our home really calmly and just taking all of our belongings and packing them up in boxes and saying like, don't worry, this happens to everybody. We'll be out of your hair in a minute <laughs> as if it's just this normal thing. And so like, of course that's kind of funny, <laughs> but, um, but that's not the first thing it is, you know, like, you can definitely laugh at it and that's fine. But like, I think when she and I have talked about it, it's just 
conveying this sense of this like inexplicable, can't put your finger on it, incremental loss of like growing up and um, that in a lot of ways is probably an outworking of the story that, you know, um, that I was just telling about uh, getting carjacked. And yet um, I wrote a song about that dream that like, that's a consolation song too. So I think all that is to say, it's never a luxury to write a song that's truly um, joyful. It, it, it comes out of a need.
first of all, that's a beautiful recording, man. And uh, it's an amazing song. That last... Thanks. We've talked a lot about the heart of this. So I, I'd love to talk about the mechanics of the, 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 the recording at some point. But that idea of, Lord, would you make me to thirst only to withhold the water? Come on. I think we've probably all been in that season or probably all are always in that season in some part of our story, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that is one of the eternal questions. Mm-hmm. I love the way you give voice to that. Thank you. So when we're here that we hear that recording, who all are we hearing? We are like in terms of who's playing yeah, who's, instruments. Who yeah. Me and mostly Lucas Morton. <laughs> okay. In terms of like over, I mean, I recorded. Drums, uh, the, 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 he did all that drum stuff, the percussion stuff. Yeah. So yeah, he did. all really I did nice. was acoustic guitar and a high string guitar that kind of gives mm-hmm. it a little bit of the like shivery feeling. The shimmer, yeah. And um, vocals. And then Lucas actually did a sort of like. Let the listener know the chest. that Drew is currently patting on his chest with his bare hands actually what i found interesting i think it might have actually been his lap oh is when, this? I, when i made the stems earlier the track was labeled lap really so i'm thinking it was yeah and i actually remember like we i did my vocals with lucas we um tracked piano and vocals at the same time just oh, wow. to like you know kind of just be efficient and um it was lunchtime and i went and got like fried chicken or something and it was like well I'll get back and just like see where they are and I walk in and like I hear something closer to that like mm. that we just listen to blaring through the monitors and I see Lucas inside just like drumming on his Bodies. chest or his lap or whatever <laughs> I was like well they've really taken this somewhere <laughs> like, so like really truly like I think this song was the most wide open in terms of like blank canvas let's mm. just like throw stuff at it and that was really fun that's so great yeah. one of my favorite shaker sounds just this one's a bonus for the listeners out there <laughs> this is what the normals always did my old band because we were so yeah. poor <laughs> we used, like we, we needed a shaker and we didn't have enough money in a band bank account so we would record this oh my gosh let the listener know that andrew right now is um he's he's like sort of scratching his forearm yeah um with his it's on every one of our records yeah. um Okay, That's so awesome. Lucas, who produced this recording? Evan. Evan? Well, yeah. I think we all three did. I mean, it was a joint effort, yeah. but like the nitty-gritty like detailed choices of bringing it to its the voice that it really has, I think was in the post-production. That was sure. Evan. So let me ask For you sure. this, Evan, hearing that song, it's a beautiful song. It's also very linear. It's a lot of re- repetition. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. It's the same it's the same melody you're evolving lyrically but musically if it's just acoustic guitar and vocal it's not really evolving a ton mm-hmm. nope there's two kind of kinds of sections you've got sort of the a section that b section mm-hmm. that both repeat a few times so when you've got a five minute song that's got a lot of words that's got a lot of repetition how do you what, what's your first thought towards making that grow dynamically because you're doing all kinds of things with both the recording and the mixing that's making mm-hmm. it continue to kind of change in dynamics yeah as far as the recording goes i know you know the perk is only in about half the song like yeah. it's only in the bigger so just you know you know really intentional extra layers at certain points of the song to add and grow and um and then even what lucas played you know on the b section of the or section towards the end of lord would you make me to thirst like the 
the chord structure, and that's just in the writing too. The guitar yeah. does it too. Oh yeah, yeah. There's that kind of C section. It just at the oh, end. things yeah. drop out, and it becomes um, like hopeful sounding for mm-hmm. a second. You know, melodic and more major key. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that played a big role in it. As far as effects go, yeah, it's just I, a lot of it was being really intentional with effects to make things. Like that second chorus in particular, where yeah. everything gets verbing, there's like a call and answer thing happening. Yeah. I'm yeah. guessing that was not in the original recording. No. If you just listen to the, like all the all the sounds we captured were really clean mm-hmm. and pretty and hi-fi. If you took all the effects off, it'd be like, wow, okay, that's, you know, that's really clean. We put We put a lot of work into that mix, and I think when I was looking at it earlier today, the lead vocal had sins to like five or six different effects on it. Hmm. And it, you know, not all of them all the time. Yeah, because it's kind of changing. It's almost changing voice. Yeah. Oh, it's very amorphous. Like, the effects, I remember, like, just even uh, halfway through the first verse, like, it shifts. Yeah. um, Before you even get to the, like, section with all the percussion. Like, the vocals are just going from one thing, one sound to another all the time. So, put that in perspective for me. On a typical mix of a song, how many vocal sins are, are are you using like two or three okay so yeah five or six is, is twice <laughs> yeah yeah twice and yeah. they're pretty in some cases especially towards the end pretty like overwhelming yes in, intentionally so yeah i think drew kind of needed to push me like as a, as a mixing engineer to like leave some fidelity behind for the sake of the soul hmm. of the song you know like in some of the bigger sections that's the vocals so distorted and laden with effects that it's it's like okay what exactly is this saying and you can tell but that's you know death of a dream that's so that yeah it's what it needed to sound like and that was your choice drew to push for that yeah i uh, actually the first mix that evan sent me it was textbook perfect as a mix like fidelity wise like everything was mixed really well and then i was like i just there's something there's like a uh like a fire that needs to be stoked inside mm. of this. Mm. Like this is a great place to start. Like push it, you know. And then you sent me another mix that was like, all right, <laughs> like <laughs> grunge. <laughs> like it was just like, oh, it was just so much, you know. Like, Too there's, much. There's yeah, there's yeah. so much distortion. Like um, on my vocals that I was almost like ready to convince myself that like yeah, no, that's that's great. We should do it. <laughs> and then we we decided like okay, let's meet together and <laughs> just walk through this line by line and I think that's kind of where vocally even like to be like the specific sins that were determined were like a result of like Mm -hmm. deciding together how that should progress um, and kind of have a little bit of both of those that's cool Um, and so that piano is pretty that piano is playing a major part too and kind of Mm -hmm. that I think that's what kind of adds some delicacy Mm -hmm. to something that could be really heavy handed yeah, even the way he's doing, do, 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 do. he's putting that little motif at the end where you think it would just kind of end, but he kind of—it's almost like a bird song. The way he plays mm-hmm. that note at the end of, kind of surprisingly in a couple places. Yeah, and I think it's really wonderful. Uh, so he's playing that at the same time as you're singing. Yeah, we just tracked it at the same time in the same um, room. Actually, or? Lucas was in the um, control. control room, and I was in the tracking room. Okay. Because he was just on a keyboard. Okay, and you were, were um, you at our house? The art house. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, that's awesome. Okay, so there's a sound that's happening in kind of that 
I looked over at you when we were yeah, listening. It's like to second it. verse ish. Did you do that? Yeah. Who did that? What, oh, talk me through dude. what that sound is that we're hearing. Thing. It's yeah. kind of in the background. It feels like is it is it based on the voice? It is. Yeah. It's. Uh, I think it was an echoplex delay. Okay. So what's voice. that? What does that? It's mean? like a tape delay. Like you know. Um, Go all the like way. A, what is a tape delay? A tape delay. It's like a tape machine that records. I'm going to sound like an idiot. Nope. <laughs> edit this. Edit any of this out. No, you need to. You don't sound like, so a back, lot of listeners might not know what yeah, that. Yeah. Is. Honestly. Yeah. Please tell me. Drew what the doesn't tape totally is. know what that is. <laughs> yeah. Back. You know. Back 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Before there. Before anything was digital. Before anything was inside a computer. You know. There we were recording on a tape, and there were all other tape units that just created delay, like an echoplex or a Roland Space Echo. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so that's that it would you'd have a short a very short piece of tape. Yeah. You would record it and it would play over and over again. Yeah. And that's your Yeah. So that's moving really fast, right? Yeah, really fast delay. Yeah. Or you or you'd have multiple heads that would that will pick it up, right? So it's going you're recording the signal and then you're hearing it play back four times as opposed to just once. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you're putting that on his vocal is it a real one? Is it a, it's like no, a, it's, it's a plug-in. It's a plug-in copy of it's one. It's a digital version. Yeah. And the, the nice thing about that is, um, so I automated it. So it wasn't just one. I didn't just set it one way and leave it. Mm-hmm. I was playing around with the feedback controls, like the amount of repeats, how much it oscillates onto itself, and the delay time. I think what you heard was actually me automating the delay time and slowing it down. So and you're as almost it's, playing that thing as an instrument. Yeah. As it's... As it's going. And the nice thing is, you know, in Pro Tools, I can automate it. I can literally, like, tell it what to do in real time. And in that moment, it'll do that exact same thing again every time. Yeah. Um, so I'm not I'm not playing it in real time, like, once while the mix is playing, hoping I'll do it the same next time. Or You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I essentially programmed all that in. Yeah. But it, it, you know, it emulates someone, if there was a real physical unit in the room, actually turning the knobs, changing things on the unit in real time. That's what it's... Yeah, it's a cool sound. Is there any way we can pull that sound up and just listen to it? Is that one of the stems? Yeah, I'm sure. Is that like the line prison cell? Yeah. that I think that's what we're talking about, right? It's, um... For a second, I thought you were asking about this sort of wind sound. That I still... I want to know about that. Oh, well, let's get to that next. That happens in the first chorus that... I don't know if we so ever I even really talked stuff. about it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have to find that. But it's um, okay. Uh, yeah, I, and I know when you're playing with the delay time of a of a delay of a tape delay like that, you know, as you turn the delay time delay time down, the perceived effect is that the pitch is dropping. Hmm. And so it sounds like whoa, 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 it's kind of what you're yeah, hearing. Yeah. It's me turning the delay time down in the moment. Let's um. It feels yeah. very like Pink Floyd. You know, very yeah. very early seventies. So far from finding the source of hope that wounds with each reminding, can you know the sun only by its shadow? Can you know a dream only by wishing it true? Can you know a song only heard in silence? Can you know someone who's hidden their face? 
from you. So that thing we're hearing this goes, that's Drew's voice. That's Drew's voice. Yep. You are a wizard. <laughs> I, I don't think I ever heard that soloed like that as yeah. so detailed until this moment. I'm just like. So you push him to get, to make it weirder. Yeah, and actually, one one source that really helped, um, at least it helped me, I don't know, you you can speak for yourself about if this was actually a helpful reference, but I had just discovered this thing called the disintegration tapes, which was actually, um, dude, <laughs> Caleb knows what I'm talking about. Caleb is engineering this, and I see him through the window, like, nodding his head, like, yes. Um, but it's, uh, I, I, it's a crazy story, but... I'll spare the story. It's the the effect was this guy who had tape. Um, so we we're talking about tape earlier. Um, that he it, it was a loop that he had made, mm-hmm. um, like an analog loop. He had looped together um, of like it, it's like a symphonic thing. Like it, like it, there are strings and. Um, but the tape is actually losing its content. Yeah. Like he walked into the room and noticed that there was dust mm-hmm. under the tape deck or something. And that was actually um, the, like, I, I don't know the terms for this. Like, Evan, you would be able to help me with like what it was that was falling off of the tape, but mm-hmm. like whatever holds the sound. Yeah, it demagnetizes <laughs> over time. Yeah. Because yeah. that stuff's held on magnetically. And after a while, it loses its magnetism and it, and they were literally disintegrating, and he played them while they were losing. He played the same loop over and over and over again oh, as cool. it uh, disintegrated and recorded what happened. And the effect is just like, it's one of the spookiest things I've ever heard. It's it's like an hour oh of gosh. the same thing over and over again, but it just sort of jolts. And like you just hear it cut out and cut out, and it just sounds like it's dying. Hmm. And to me, that was like um, kind of the... Um, the very that was like the essence of what we were trying to like in my imagination it helped me give a a language and a reference to what we were trying to accomplish with this particular song and with the Desolation EP as a whole but mostly this song um, that I think yeah Evan you crushed it (laughs) between the tape delay and the distortion it was just it was awesome that was it so so fun it's so creative it's a great and it does it takes it gives the song a dynamic narrative arc, you know. Mm-hmm. It's really, really wonderful. Mm-hmm. So these are the first Drew Miller songs, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. After the dying of the season of the Orchardist, that's a dream that, that died. That sounded darker than it meant it to be, but no, that's okay. You were in a band that ended, yeah, on good terms. On good terms, which yeah. is awesome. Still a dream that died. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so this is the uh, you consolation. Is this this project? Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So, well, thanks for having us. To thanks talk with you for having you. me and interviewing me. Uh, I appreciate it. It's kind of fun. <laughs> the Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio in the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com and to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Born of desire.
Thank you.